turn to John 18. We're going to finish it out today. And while the sermon is titled, Who is Truth? You see that in your bulletin. We're going to kind of rephrase it a little bit because we're borrowing from a historical figure this morning. So it's a little tete-a-tete here. It's uh, what is truth slash who is truth. And we're going to be challenged this morning on the level of truth. And I'm going to encourage you that as we, we work through the passage, as we think about it, think about how you relate to that. How do you relate to what we're about to hear, whether you're a businessman, whether you're a father, whether you're a grandmother, whether you're a college student, whether you are a high school student? Think of how you relate to this subject because it is desperately important. What is important? What is truth? Let me give you a couple scenarios to set the background I'm finding as I get older in life, I'm, I'm, I'm learning the hard way about truth. Many of you may relate to this. Let me give you a couple scenarios. What I have found to be true is this. If you eat Taco Bell after 11 o'clock, you will not sleep. True that. I've also observed a common truth that if you start wrestling alligators, you're pretty much going to get your own cable show nowadays. All right. I've also come to hear, I haven't experienced this myself, but if you start driving a car without oil, you're going to meet a man named Otto, and his last name is Mechanic. All right. But how many of you have ever had satellite dishes? We had a satellite dish that was up on the fireside room. It's down. For those of you that hated that thing, we heard you. It's down. It's gone. It was a big experiment in, in can you guys see me? I'm kind of out of the light here. Oh, no, there's a biblical metaphor in there. Um, okay, hopefully. There you are, Jesus. Um, we, don't, we set it for up there, and now I'm all the way back here. I feel so disconnected from you all. How many of you have had that satellite dish thing, right? You know, I'm not going to name the companies, but, but we had it here for a while. And, and uh, you know, the thing about satellite dish is you have to point it. Right? It's got to be pointed in the right direction or you're going to get kind of a fuzzy signal. Or sometimes it's not going to come in right. And that, that term is called your azimuth. All right? That's a great term. Your azimuth. And uh, I think it's Mesopotamian. Okay? And so you have to make sure it's completely in line with these coordinates. And that's why you have to pay $200 for this tech to come out and set up your azimuth so that you get your TV. It's amazing how when we don't get our TV, we are really confused and upset. And uh, some of you experience that even with the cable companies, but we'll, we'll talk a little bit about this uh, more later uh, throughout, the, uh, throughout the sermon. We have a question presented to us today in Jesus' response to Pilate. Here's a point to ponder. So think on this because we're going to come back to it. If Jesus is true, what is that to mean? If Jesus is truth, what is that to mean? C.S. Lewis said this about truth. You never know how much you really believe anything until it's truth or falsehood 
becomes a matter of life or death to you. A statement by William Law about truth says this, and this is, this is crucial for us today. Listen carefully. Without the present illumination of the Holy Spirit, illumination meaning um, making something come into the light so you can clearly understand it, okay? Without the present illumination of the Holy Spirit, the Word of God must remain a dead letter to every man, no matter how intelligent or well-educated he may be. It is just as essential for the Holy Spirit to reveal the truth of Scripture to the reader today as it was necessary for him to inspire the writers in their day. How do we know what truth is? It's a relative term in our society. Think about the different discussions you've gotten in where you've insisted that you were right. Maybe it was with a really good friend. Maybe it was with a husband or a wife or a child. Don't you love that one? When you get in, in that discussion with the child and then you find out they were right. <laughs> I can't wait for heaven because then we'll all be all right. This morning, we're going to use this idea of truth is. So what is truth? This was the diabolical question or statement more than a question that Pilate iterated in this conversation with Christ. This morning, let's start with this point. Truth is, what? We'll get someone else to do our dirty work. We're going to be in verses 28 through 32. And what I mean by this, or what the text means by this, is that we have had Jesus in the house of Caiaphas. Formerly, he was with Annas, and they were trying to give him a trial. They have a problem. They want to put Jesus to death. But the law does not allow them to do that. So they need somebody else to do their what? Their dirty work. That's the truth of it. Let's read 28 through 32 this morning. Then they led Jesus from the house of Caiaphas to the governor's headquarters. It was early morning. They themselves did not enter the governor's headquarters so that they would not be defiled, but could eat the Passover. So Pilate went outside to them and said, What accusation do you bring against this man? They answered him, If this man were not doing evil, we would not be delivering him over to you. Pilate said to them, Take him yourselves and judge him by your own law. The Jews said to him, It is not lawful for us to put anyone to death. This was to fulfill the word that Jesus had spoken to show by what kind of death he was going to die. And that was prior in some of the scriptures that we saw, chapter 12, 13, 14, when he fronted the Pharisees and the Sadducees there at the temple. Truth is, we'll get someone else to do our dirty work. The Jewish leaders accused Jesus of three things to Pilate according to the Gospel of Luke. We don't see that here in John, so let me give you some perspective here. Pilate asked them, and we saw that here in the dialogue. Pilate says, what do you accuse this man of? And you notice the politics that they used, right? Did they give an accusation here? No. They said, why would we be bringing him if he wasn't guilty? Could you possibly imagine putting someone to death predicated off of that effort in a courtroom? And yet, they were able to. So let me show you how that happened. 
In Luke, we see three things, and you have them up there in front of you. Number one, they told Pilate that Christ was subversive to the nation. He's a rebel rouser. He was stirring things up. Number two, they were quoting a discussion where they sought to entrap him about taxes and Caesar so they could then create this opportunity where he was then perceived as an enemy of the empire of Rome. You remember the little discussion about who should we pay taxes to. So they list this, even though Jesus answered in a way that he could not be pinned down. They list this, number two, refusal to pay taxes to Caesar. Number three, they list and say he's claimed to be a king, and therefore he is a threat to Rome. The truth is they never gave a reason for his guilt. Not a legitimate one. Truth is they have something on Pilate and they're playing politics. You see, Pilate normally resided up in the Caesarea area. It was much nicer up there, right on the coastline. But he would have to come down into Jerusalem during the time of the feasts because the Jews were constantly rebelling against the empire of Rome. Now, one of the things that Pilate got himself in a little bit of trouble with is he robbed the treasury to build an aqueduct. So he wasn't too popular. And one of the things that happens in politics is you have to know where the crowd is, right? And you are a successful governor if you can keep the crowd, what? At peace. You see, nobody back home wants to hear that there's trouble. And if we hear that there's trouble and constant trouble, what's going to happen to Pilate? We'll replace you. You're going to get your pink slip, Pilate. Can you imagine that? We're all visualizing it. So they had something on Pilate, and he knew it. And so he doesn't want any trouble with these guys. So they're putting political pressure on him. And he knows it. Truth is, they want Jesus dead and Pilate knows it. But he doesn't want to have anything to do with it. So the next section that we're going to look at this morning is Jesus exposes the trickery that's going on in his conversation with Pilate. Let's go back to the text, starting in verse 33 through 35. So Pilate comes back into his headquarters. Pilate entered his headquarters again and called Jesus and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, Do you say this of your own accord? Or did others say it to you about me? It's an interesting response, isn't it? Well, there's something behind that. There always is. Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you over to me. What have you done. Well, let's look at this trickery. Jesus asks, if Pilate is asking this question, are you a king? Of his own accord. Why? Well, because Pilate's got to figure out what's going on. He's got to figure out where the real threat is, and so Jesus exposes the trickery. You see, they're kind of using uh, how we hear about people slipping pork into amendments, and you're wondering, when we signed a bill for health care, how did we build a bridge with that? How did that happen? And it's all, you know, handshakes and greased wheels and, and things. That's kind of what's going on here. And so Jesus says to Pilate, really? Now, do you really want to know if I'm a king, or did somebody plant an idea in your head? Because if you're asking on your behalf, 
I'll just give you a straight answer. But if somebody's planted this thought in your mind, we're going to need to clarify this. We're going to need to clarify this. Is this of your own accord, Jesus says to Pilate. Jesus is not a threat to Rome, as the Jews suggest. Because if he was a king of a kingdom here, then he would be a threat to Rome. Now Pilate's got cause. But we'll see in a moment that Jesus says, this is not my kingdom, this is not where I'm king of. Jesus is not a threat to Rome, as the Jews suggest. What he is, is Messiah. And Rome could care less about Messiah. It's not their business. That's why he washes his hands of the entire thing. He doesn't want to deal with the truth. But Jesus exposes the trickery and makes it apparent to Pilate, which is his conundrum, right? That's why he keeps going back out to the portico and talking to the audience and keeps offering bribes and and he has to come back to Jesus, have another conversation. He doesn't know what to do. But what Jesus keeps doing is he exposes the lies and the falsehoods that are going on and makes Pilate deal with the truth. So Pilate's going to have to make a decision. And we'll get to that. Next, truth is Jesus is king of a greater kingdom. And let's look at this verse, verse 36, shall we? Jesus answered to Pilate, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not from the world. What was Jesus saying here? He is a king. And he's a king of a greater world. He's king over everything. And in one essence, what Christ is doing is he's minimizing the empire of Rome without Pilate even realizing it. He's stipulating, I'm not a threat to you because my kingdom has nothing to do with this kingdom. So don't, don't sweat the details, Pilate. He's a king over a greater kingdom. And what does that kingdom look like? What's the truth about the kingdom of Christ? What is it? It's eternal. You see, the kingdom of Christ has to have a, what? King. Well, who's the king of the kingdom of Christ? Christ is, and Christ is eternal. So the kingdom of Christ started... Now, it didn't start because it's eternal. The kingdom of Christ has always existed because Christ is here, because God is here. But the kingdom of Christ is progressively moving along, and it's progressively increasing. It increased through his creation. It increased through his angels. Remember his words here to Pilate were, if my kingdom was of this world, my servants would rise up. And in a sense, he's saying you wouldn't have a chance. He's talking about the angels. And the angels were created before the creation of the world, before you and I, before mankind. Progressive. His creation itself is part of the kingdom. The universe, heaven, is all part of that kingdom. But for us, we are the redeemed. And that is progressively moving forward. The kingdom is progressively increasing. My, my question to you is this. Who around you or who in this room is not yet part of the kingdom of Christ? Let me encourage you. 
It's a great citizenship. It never ends. It has all the entitlement you could possibly think of. There's no trickery in it. There's no abuse in it. There really are no taxes. That's a, that's a perk. We're just a week away, aren't we? When is the kingdom? Well, it's timeless. But it's increasing, right? When Jesus spoke about the Sermon on the Mount, he talked about the kingdom. He talked about those who would be in the kingdom and what they would look like. Blessed are those. He was always talking about the kingdom. It's progressively growing and growing. It's completed on the day of the Lord. That's the urgency of what we're looking at, is if you knew that you only had so much time, I just have to confess to you, these flowers are so ugly. I bought them. These are really ugly flowers. We have even more ugly flowers in the back. And I bought them off, off of Amazon. Okay? Don't buy flowers off of Amazon. You can't really tell how big they are or if they look real or not. So I didn't know what to do with it, and we put them in boxes back here. And then somebody said, hey, why don't you return them? And I'm like, oh, yeah, I should do that. Well, that was in middle of January. So I went back to look at the return policy. I'm stuck with them. It's too late. I'm stuck with these hideous flowers. So now you're stuck with them. <laughs> Happy Easter. <laughs> All right? It was too late! And now I'm stuck with what I don't want. Folks, the day of the Lord, that's it. There will be no other opportunity after that. And for us, it's a progressive losing of those opportunities. No man knows his time, knows his date. That should provide a sense of urgency for you and I to reach out to those around us who will be stuck with much worse than these flowers. His kingdom is incredible. And he's much more than a king of an empire on this earth. So when Pilate asked, Jesus did some schooling and told him of a greater kingdom. Truth is, it's hard to hear the truth. Right? How many of us have experienced that? Truth is, it's hard to hear the truth. It's a tragedy when we fail to recognize the truth. It is a greater tragedy when we recognize the truth but fail to heed it. This morning as we look at this point, I have three sub-points. Number one, Pilate had the truth right in front of him. Jesus states that he is the truth. He came for the purpose of truth. John 14, 6, just a couple months ago we... we heard his words where he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. Now, there's a lot of people all around you that don't believe that, right? So either Jesus is a flat-out liar, and we have no business following him. That's, by the way, this is your decision this morning. Either he's a flat-out liar, or they're not speaking truth. You can't have middle ground, right? There's no middle ground in this. We can't say, oh, you know, I really don't want to offend you. I, I, I don't want to make everybody uncomfortable. They're bringing up this subject that is going to cost them eternity, folks. Truth matters. 
Otherwise, Christ never would have come. And the truth is, He loved you and I so much, He was willing to take our penalty on Himself. Just an incredible love story that we will celebrate on a Sunday with the consummation and the power of that love story where He was no longer a victim to death, but He rose over death. He conquered over death, giving Him substance, credibility to what He said. He claimed huge things, folks. If you're a friend of mine, if you've been around me long enough, you've heard me make some outlandish predictions. We were sitting at spring break and we were so bored because the game was so bad. We played prophecy baseball. Have you ever played prophecy baseball? It's where you're all sitting in line and at the next at bat, the first person uh, that's, that's sitting there has to prophesy what's going to happen. And if, if they don't prophesy correctly, we throw all our food at them. All right? So then the next one for the next at-bat. And, uh, and, and so it just, it, it, and so, uh, uh, you know, there's a lot of food flying. Let's just say that. Folks, the truth matters. And if Jesus is who he says he is, what am I to do with that? What are you to do with that? We cannot just simply sit here. We cannot walk out of here and ignore it. You are now responsible for that truth. You've been given that truth. You have a decision to make. Let's look at verse 37 and 38. This is where we're getting to. It says this, Then Pilate said to him, So you are a king. Jesus answered, You say that I am a king. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world. Here it is. To bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Do you understand how profound that is? Jesus just said the entire reason he came, the entire reason he came to suffer, the entire reason he took on human form was to give witness to the what? You think it's important? What do you and I do with it? Well, let's see what Pilate did with it. Pilate said to him, what is truth? By the way, how many of you have a question mark there? You could probably put an exclamation point and a question mark. The way that this reads in its original language. The voicing of it is more one of disgust the voicing of it is one of putting off. It's not that he really wanted to know the truth. It was in essence saying, I'm not going to concern myself with truth because it's such an ambiguous issue. Does that sound familiar? Because that's what got Christ crucified, by the way. What's at stake? Being ambiguous about the truth will lead to disaster will lead to disaster. What is truth? After this, after he had said this, he went back outside to the Jews and told them, I find no guilt in him. Even though he has this great philosophical discussion with Jesus about truth, he has to go back out to the crowd and he says what? He says the truth. I find no guilt in him. Jesus states 
that if you are of the truth, you what? You listen to Christ. Let's look at that real briefly. Get ready to write things down. I have a question for you in context of that. He says, you listen to the voice of Christ. My question to you and to me this morning, and here's your application and your challenge, whose voice do you follow the most? Whose voice do you follow the most? It's about what you worship. Or you could say who. Remember, we keep interchanging those two terms today, what and who. Whose voice do you follow the most? Is it Christ? When it comes to the issue of life and making choices, do you listen to Christ? Do you listen to the crowd? Do you listen to yourself? Our high schoolers have a theme right now called Humble State. If we were to take more and more of this on, we might see a deeper embracing of real truth rather than lifting up ourselves. By the way, we're used to that, right? Because we need to be right. And what's so comforting about subjective or, or moral relativism is it allows me to be right even when I'm not right. I like that. That feels good. Then I don't have to sub subjugate myself to anything or anyone. And what that leads to is huge consequences. Because in my nature, I will subjugate myself to things that will destroy me. You see, that's the challenge. Is the truth is a reality that we cannot ignore. We may try to choose, like Pilate, to ignore it. But he knew. He knew. I found no guilt in this man. Is it economics that shape your truth? Is it convenience that shapes your truth? Romans 1, 24 through 25 speaks to this. You can turn there if you want. I'll just read it for you this morning. Paul writes this about the challenge that mankind has and why they turn their backs on God. It says, Therefore God gave them up in the lust of their heart to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the Creator who is blessed forever. Does that resonate for you? See, the truth that's all around us in the world is that you're right, I'm right. That's, by the way, that's impossible. Right? My team's playing today. They, they may win. They may not win. But if they lose, I cannot sit here and tell you that they won. There are some absolutes in life. I may wish they won, but that's different than the reality. Folks, we have to start paying attention and honoring and subjugating ourselves and hearing the voice of Christ on all subjects. Whether they politically line up with how we view things, whether socially they line up with how we view things, or traditionally how we line up with things. Last point this morning. By the way, if Jesus is truth, the question is what? 
What does that mean for me? Philippians 4, 8. We read it earlier this morning. But let me encourage you. Here's how you can practice this. This morning our challenge is to examine how we think. This morning our challenge is to look and dissect and ask, how have I shaped my convictions? Have they been shaped by myself? Have they been shaped by economics? Have they been shaped by the world around me? Have they been shaped by social media? Or have they been shaped by Christ because Christ is the truth? That's our challenge this morning. So how do I figure that out? Let me challenge you in this way. Philippians 4.8 says, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Then he says in verse 9, What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. Today, let me encourage you, re-examine your belief system, and like the satellite dish, align your azimuth. So where does moral subjectivism get us? It gets us into disaster. It comes back and it bites us really hard. So we've got Pilate saying, what is the truth? Do you think Pilate figured he would go down in obscurity? Do you think Pilate thought that 2,000 years after the fact, there would, people, there would be people that would want to scrub his name from history? Pilate was a proud man. I don't think he would have believed that that was fair to the truth, that he really never existed. He's just someone that has been inked into the narrative of the scriptures. Well, here's a fascinating thing. Is that there are extra-biblical accounts, those things outside of scripture, that talk about Christ and talk about Pilate. Were you aware of that? And yet the world will tell you, and there are philosophy majors, and there are professors in, in, uh, in universities all over the world, there are atheists, there are secular humanists, that will deny the, even the historicity of Jesus Christ. He didn't even exist as a man. They want you to believe that. Going back 100 to 150 years ago, nobody in their right mind would ever challenge that. Because they knew of what I'm about to show you. So again, remember, the challenge for us is to re-examine our life and figure out how do we form our convictions. And Jesus' words from his own mouth were, If you know me, you're listening to my voice. And that is the truth of your life. What happened to Pilate? The man who said, what is truth? We kind of, I, I don't have a lot of time for the story, but he, he kind of bombed politically. He kind of got sent off to Nowheresville. But here's the beauty of it. This is a stone that was found in Caesarea Maritima. And that theater, I've stood in multiple times. Scott's been there. Uh, Philip and, and Magda, I think you guys have been there. A pilot in the, I think the 60s or the 70s, was crop dusting and noticed a weird formation under the sand. This is right on the coast, and there were sand dunes there that came over from Egypt. Thanks, Egypt. And that started excavations, and they uncovered one of the biggest historical archaeological finds ever, an entire city, an entire 
support. And this theater was preserved incredibly. Now that stone, that stone has Pilate's name inscribed in it. And it was found in this theater where he was procurator. He was governor. Guess where they found it? It was a stepping stone in aisle 43B. Oh, illustrious Pilate. What is truth? The truth is your name was recorded in history. The truth is people didn't respect it very much. Fascinating thing. What's the truth? Is Jesus real? Because if he's real, you know what he said about what we have to view truth as. And that causes us to have to re-examine. Let's see outside of Scripture, because we know what Scripture says. Let's see outside of Scripture what the historians of that time said. This is a quote from the Roman historian Tacitus, and let me read it to you. Consequently, to get rid of the report, Nero fastened the guilt and inflicted the most exquisite tortures on a class hated for their abominations, called Christians by the populace. Christus, from whom the name had its origins, suffered the extreme penalty during the reign of Tiberius at the hands of one of our procurators, Pontius Pilate. And a most mischievous superstition, which would have been the resurrection, thus checked for the moment, again broke out, not only in Judea, the first source of the evil, but even in Rome. By the way, we have a book in the New Testament written to the church at what? At Rome. Where all things hideous and shameful from every part of the world find their center and become popular. Accordingly, an arrest was first made of all who pleaded guilty. Then, upon their information, an immense multitude was convicted, not so much of the crime of firing the city as of the hatred against mankind. You hear the words? Remember the message I gave that when somebody really doesn't have any credibility to their story, what do they want to do? They want to use hateful and, and fear-mongering speech to really stir you up. And that's what Tacitus is doing here. Because, just like for the Jews, Jesus was a threat to the Jewish established power structure, oh, the church was a huge threat to the Roman power structure. Because Caesars were what? They were gods. You can't have another Caesar. And if it starts to rise up, that's why Tacitus used this language. This is just one historian at that time, folks. What is truth? Jesus is truth. Let me close this morning by encouraging you to examine in your mind, in your heart, that question Pilate throws out. But don't do it with the ambiguity and the superfluous attitude that he exercised. Sincerely ask the question, what is truth, when it relates to everything that I have to decide as to how I will live. College students, you have a huge challenge in front of you. What is truth? How will you decide to live? Those who are getting ready to be married, those who have to make decisions economically, those who may be sitting on the outside looking in and don't understand Christ yet, again, more than a historical figure. 
And not just from Scripture. You heard from a Roman historian himself. And if it had been, I suspect, I suspect, if it had just been a bunch of fluff and the resurrection didn't happen, Tacitus wouldn't have been writing about it. It was a true threat. If that resurrection had never happened, the church would not have continued and existed. But it did. Amen? I'm going to ask the men to prepare for offering this morning. And as we do so, your responsibility, my responsibility in context to what we've studied today is simple, my friends. Evaluate what truth is. Who is your voice of truth? And start to look at the decisions that you make and the positions that you've started to hold, the convictions that you grasp onto, and ask yourself, are those formulated because of the truth of who Jesus Christ is? I pray that it is. Truth is worthy to be sought after, and it will reward you. It will reward the seeker. Let me pray over the offering this morning. If you're visiting with us, thank you. Thank you for being here. We're glad you're here. We pray that the words and the worship have spoken to your heart this morning. Don't feel under any compulsion to participate in our offering. This is an act of worship. We do so joyfully. And, uh, and we trust God to use it for His glory. But we would love for you to fill out one of those cards that's in the seat in front of you. Um, you probably won't have time now that I mention it to drop it in the offering. But you could leave it at the kiosk or just in the foyer on the left um, on the credenza there. We're glad that you're here. Gather tonight here, 5 o'clock. If you want to have an impact for the kingdom of God, we're going to pray some, some big things. And uh, then continue on with the 625 tonight at um, Brendan Theater for God's Not Dead. God bless you this morning. Father, it is our privilege. It is our reward to receive your truth. But let us act accordingly to it. Let us not twist it. Let us not make it convenient. Let us not be guilty of what Pilate was guilty of, of what the chief priests were guilty of. That I will simply manipulate truth for my convenience. Because then it's just subjective. It isn't true. It's an idea that may or may not be worthy of following. But your truth, Father, leads us, guides us on a path it is worthy to be trusted in. It is beneficial for all. So let my mind focus on whatever is true, whatever is pure, whatever is excellent, whatever is praiseworthy, whatever is commendable. So that, Lord, I might live in the reward and the joy of the kingdom of heaven. We lay this offering before you. Blow it up, Lord. Use it. Huge. Bless those who give. Bless the giver. Bless the receiver. Thank you, Father. To your glory. Amen.